This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All righty. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I want to start off by thanking you all for coming out here. It's a beautiful crowd on a wonderful Thursday afternoon. And, by the way, feel free to always bring a friend. There's no greater mitzvah than bringing a friend and getting them involved in something you enjoy. Um, I also want to thank the amazing staff at Yeshiva Batir and Partners Detroit for setting up this beautiful lunch and learn. We even got a, a separate, a, a different menu this time. We got an upgraded menu. And I want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app, it's a website, it's filled with over a quarter of a million hours worth of Torah content. Go on, check it out yourself. Don't trust me, verify. Okay, so we are now standing just a few short days away from Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur probably has different associations in different people's minds with different things. But not many people associate Yom Kippur as like a warm and positive day. It's a day of solemnity. It's a day of long prayers, stuffy synagogues. It's a day of hunger, a day of deprivation. Many people almost feel like, how about we go to sleep in the beginning of the high holidays and wake up for Sukkot? Because Sukkot is a fun time. We have positive associations with Sukkot. So I want to talk a little bit about Yom Kippur today and about what it really is. Because people think it's a day where I sit there and I pray all day and I say I'm sorry for all the terrible things that I've done. I want to try to bring out what Yom Kippur is in a whole new light. Yom Kippur is a day of authenticity. Yom Kippur is a day about being real. What do I mean by this? Well, it so happens that today is the yard site of the Shpolya Zeda. Okay? His name was Rabbi Aryeh Leib of Shpolya. He lived from the year 1725 to the year 1811. He was a great Hasidic rabbi, a student of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidism, and the Mizricha Magid, his primary disciple, who carried on his mission. And he used to travel throughout the towns and the villages of Ukraine trying to help any Jew who needed whatever it was. And because today is its yard site, there's a custom to tell over stories about great rabbis on the yard sites, and I'm going to tell over an amazing story that I saw on a group chat called Sparks of the Nation. It's an amazing chat. It's a chat that all it does is puts out positive things about the Jewish people. Which, by the way, that's what we should all be. We should all be chat boxes just putting out positive things about the Jewish people. Because God loves nobody like he loves a champion of his children. So I'm just saying, you want a positive Yom Kippur? Commit yourself to being a positive chatbot about the Jewish people. Okay? Now, on this chatbot, it tells you all kinds of amazing things the Jewish people are up to, but it also will mention various yard sites, and it mentions the yard site of the Shpol Yezeda, and it tells over the famous story about the Shpol Yezeda, which I'm about to tell you, and it even added a little message, which I, when I read that, I was like, whatever I was going to say, I'm going to put that to the side, I've got to include this, because it actually dovetails exactly with the message. The Shpol Yezeda used to travel from town to town, from village to village, Helping out, giving blessings, and giving aids up, giving people advice. And especially, he would always try to look out for Jews who were stuck in a really bad position, which there were many of in those days, because they were constantly being persecuted by the local parrots, the local landowners, the noblemen who would tax them to starvation, and the only way they could survive was by trying to do a little bit under the table, whatever it was, and then they get thrown in prison. So the Shpoliazeta would constantly be helping out people like that. He gets to one town... And there's a line of people, and there's a woman crying and weeping and weeping. Finally, she comes in. She's like, Rabbi, Rabbi, you got to help me. you got to help me. They're going to kill my husband. He's, wait, wait, wait. What's going on? No, no, Rabbi, you got to help me. They're going to kill my... What's going on? She says, over here, we have a particularly vicious par. It's a vicious landowner. And he taxes all of us to death, and he levies the taxes on his debts, and then if we don't pay them, he throws you in prison where you're treated horribly, and you're starved, and you're beaten. My husband was taken a week ago to prison, and he's being starved, and he's being beaten, and it's terrible. But that's not the issue. The issue is that it's almost the poet's birthday. Maybe he'll, let, maybe he'll have a little mercy. <laughs> no, 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 not this poet's. 
Not this landowner. This landowner has a particularly, a particularly diabolical, sadistical game that he likes to play on his birthday. Every year on his birthday, he makes a huge ball. And he invites all of his friends, and they have a huge party. And in the middle of the party, he puts on a competition between one of his Cossacks, one of his well-trained, well-fed soldiers, and a Jew that he pulls from his prisons. These poor Jews are starving, they're hungry. And the way it works is he takes them out of the prison, and he throws on top of them this big, heavy bear fur, like a huge bear fur, a full-size bear fur, fur, fur a full-size bear fur. <laughs> and then, now, by the way, I don't know if you guys know, there used to be, I, I was reading about this in a different, in a different safer, they were talking about how, you know, what, what do we do for, for, for fun? You know, whatever we go, we check out things, whatever, we, whatever I don't know what we do for fun, I'm actually not going to ask you what you do for fun, it's none of my business. But in the olden days, one of the things they would commonly do for fun is they, they would have people who would go, like the circus people would go from place to place, and they had a thing where they would make the bears dance to music, okay? And the way they did it is basically when the bears were little children, they would have the bears, they would force them into walk on, on burning hot coals, and they would play music. And these poor bears, they'd be like dan- up and down, like dancing up and down, trying to get their feet off the boiling hot coals. And they would associate it with the music, and it created a Pavlovian response. And then later on, they would play the music, and the bears would start jumping up and down just because it was their Pavlovian response, because they remembered that music, the pain... And they, they would travel from town to town, and people would give them nickels and quarters and dimes and kopecks and whatever it was for the dancing bear, the dancing bear show. So this t- horrible pirates would have a dancing bear and a Cossack come and have a dance competition. And the music would start slow, and it would get faster and faster and faster. And of course, the Cossack, he'd well-trained, well-fed, well-eaten, and he would do his whole, you know, the whole dancing, you know, the whole Cossack dance, you know? And the poor Jew would have to try to keep up with him step for step. And whoever would lose step first would lose the dance competition. And the other person had the right to either just chop off the guy's head right then and there or subject him to horrific lashes. And the woman says to the Shpali, my, my, my husband, they're going to take him. Gonna, he's going to be the bear. He's going to be the bear. So Shpoyah Zeta says, I'll see what I can do. It's not exactly clear how he got in there, but he must have bribed the guard. And he switched places with this poor prisoner. The Shpoyah Zeta himself, the rabbi, switched places with this poor prisoner. And sure enough, a couple days later, it's the birthday, and the, the landowner, the nobleman, is throwing this big birthday party. And he has all his friends pulling up beautiful carriages. There's food and there's beautiful music. And then in the middle, for the highlight of the show, it's time for the bear and Cossack competition. And they drag the Shpoyazade out and they put this heavy, heavy bear costume on him. And they start playing the music and it's slow. And the Rebbe is dancing. And then the music gets faster. And the Cossack is waiting. When is the Jew going to fall? But the Jew isn't falling. The Jew is keeping every step, and the music gets faster and faster and faster. And now the Cossack himself, he's starting to sweat, and he's sweating, and the, the bear doesn't stop. The bear just keeps dancing and dancing, and the Cossack starts losing his step, losing his step, and suddenly, the Cossack exhausted. The music was so fast, and he was trying to keep step, and he just slips and falls on the floor, and the whole place goes deathly quiet. And the Cossack comes crawling over to the rabbi in the bear costume, and he's begging him, please spare me. Don't kill me. Don't, don't subject me to lashes. And the rabbi says to him, I will spare your life if you pay all that yid's debts. And that was it. That was the last year they had the competition. Now that's a story about the Shpal Yazeda, whose yard site is today. He was an amazing person who put in every Jew in front of him, was willing to risk his own life to save the life of another Jew. Unbelievable. But here is the message, ladies and gentlemen. Here is the real message. It's a bit of a metaphor for all of us. We're all trying to make our way through this dance of life. We're all trying to make our way through the dance of life, but we feel like there's this heavy bear costume that just slapped on us weighing us down, making us sluggish, making us miss our steps. It's like this big,
big thing, all this big burden on my back that I'm schlepping around everywhere. And it makes me mess up all the time. It makes me do things I don't want to do. It makes me say things I don't want to say. What is sin? The word for sin in Hebrew is chet. What does the word chet mean? It means missing your target. If you watch archery, if you watch Israeli archery, which I'm sure you could find on ESPN 74, (laughs) when you miss the target, in Hebrew they say chet. Sin. What is sin? You miss your target. Why do you miss your target? Because you've got this big bear all over you. This heavy bear that's making you miss your steps, making you do things you don't want to be doing. It's not who you really are. I've got this big bear costume on me. And what is that bear, my friends? The bear is called the Satan. The Satan. The Satan is there to be a big bear costume, making it harder for you to do what you really want to do. Where do we see the word Satan? We see it one time in the whole Torah. And we see that word when God is angry at Bilaam. Bilaam was the prophet who agreed to go curse the Jewish people. And as the verse says in the book of Numbers, which I'll quote in a moment after I have a drink, Amen! Delayed Amen over there. Okay. Okay. Still a good Amen. In the book of Numbers, by Midbar, Chavbez, Chavbez, 22, chapter 22, verse 22. And God got angry at Bilaam. You're going to go curse the Jewish people? And God put an angel in the middle of the road, to be a satan. What does the word satan mean? An impediment. God puts an impediment in all of our hearts. And it's like this big bear that's there to impede us from doing what we want to do. To impede us from being who we want to be. So all year round, we walk around and there's this this, this bear hanging over our, our backs, this albatross around our shoulders. There's one day a year you get a bear-free day. What is that day? Yom Kippur. Says the Gemara in Tractate Yuma, page 20a. Satan b'yoma dikipuri, the Satan on Yom Kippur, les le rishusa lastune. He has no permission to prosecute. He has no permission to get involved in your life. Mimai, how do we know this? Amar Rami Barchama, Rami Barchama says, Hasatan begematria, plus mea vishitin varabahavi. The Satan, the word Hasatan is the gematria, the numerical equivalence of 364. 365 days there are in the year. 364 of them. The Satan has free reign to do what he wants and to make our lives difficult and to try to get us to do things that are not us. One day a year. Yom Kippur, les le rishusa lastune. He has no permission to get involved, to prosecute, to inflict impediments upon us. People think, oh, I'm such a hypocrite. On Yom Kippur, I go in and I pray and I say to God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. What am I doing? Tomorrow I'll be doing the same thing. I'm such a hypocrite. Look at all these Jews. The whole year, where were they? Come Yom Kippur. They come out of the woodworks. Every shul, every synagogue is bursting to the seams. Look at these hypocrites. Where were they the whole year? You know what the real answer is? No. This is the real Jew. This is the real you. The whole year you were being held back because you were wearing a heavy bear costume. You had this satan, this impediment in your life that made it difficult for you. Constantly goading you to get angry and yell at people. Constantly goading you to talk just stupidity and gossip about other people. Telling you, look at this and see this and do this and talk this. And pushing you and pushing you. 
one day a year, the bear is lifted off of our backs. And what do we do? We run to shul. And we sit and we pray the whole day. And we talk to God. And we say, I don't want to be like that. Please take the bear off my back. That's the real you. That's the real Jew. That's what you look like without having any impediments imposed on you. Now, of course, God puts that satan on us so that we can become much more powerful. If you can, you know, it's like when you go to a baseball game, the, uh, the players, when they're on deck, so they used to, I remember back in the day, You'd see them swinging two or three bats at the same time. Nowadays, they finally figured out, oh, we could just put weights on the bat. <laughs> all you got to do is swing one bat. But they, they swing the bat with like all these weights on it, so it's very heavy. Ugh, and they got to practice like that. And then when they take the weights off, they go up to bat, and the guy sends the ball, whew, it goes flying, because they were so used to working out. Another example. Steph Curry. Some of you may have heard of him. Some of you may have not. Stephon Curry, one of the best basketball players in the last 20 years, plays for the Golden State Warriors, won multiple uh, championships, MVPs, the whole deal. How did he use to practice? Very innovative. He would go to a gym, and he, they, they made special glasses for him, special like, almost like goggles. And these goggles, what they would do is they would flash Open, close, open, close, open, close, open, close, open, close. So he would only be able to see roughly 50% of the time. And that's how he would practice, making shots and dribbling around and shooting with only 50% vision. And then when he'd go to the real game and he'd have full-time vision, it'd be easy. He'd be swishing those buckets like it was nobody's business. Throwing down threes from like 40 feet away. No problem. I can see you totally. I've got no impediments. Hashem gives us the satan the whole year because your job is to become amazing by being able to push through all the challenges and still dance. If you can dance with a bear costume, then you are the best dancer of all. You can defeat all the Cossacks. So Hashem gives us satan to us the whole year so we can have that challenge, so we can ever overcome and be the best that we can be. But that one day a year that God just suddenly takes off the bear costume takes off the heavy weights on the bat, takes off the glasses, we can see, we can feel, we can move. And what do we do? What do Klai Yisrael do? What do the Jewish people do? B'nai Yisrael Kedoshim Him, the Jewish people are holy. As soon as the bear is lifted off our back, we're streaming to the synagogues. Streaming to go talk to God. Streaming to say to God, can you make me like this more, please? This is the, I love this. This is the authentic me. I only get one day a year to be this way. Please, I, I love it. Okay. That's what Yom Kippur is. Yom Kippur is the day of authenticity. The day, the one day a year that you shine fully with no satan around you. So how do I become authentic? I'm going to share with you a story. Actually, I'm going to share with you an idea. This idea comes from one of my rabbis from when I learned in Shariashev, Rabbi Shmuel Brazil, who's now a great Rosh Hashiva, a great rabbi in Israel. And this is from, he has a sefer called Bishare HaMoadim, a sefer that's a, a book that's written specifically for the high holiday season. And this is an idea that he shares. I'm honored, honored to share it with you. It's based on a story brought in the Talmud that is perhaps the greatest story of anybody ever doing teshuva, anybody ever coming back to themselves fully. But before we get to that story, which will be mind-boggling to you, let's talk about what kind of things generally contribute, what colors our bare skin might be. There are four main impediments to our spiritual thriving. The first is our parents. Our parents are the people who have the greatest effect on us, bar none. And maybe where we grew up, our parents, they didn't care two licks about spirituality. 
Maybe they forced us to go to Hebrew school while they went to the Starbucks because, God forbid, they should even be in the synagogue for an extra hour or two. Even though there was classes for parents also. But like, no, 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 no. I remember. I used to teach a class while kids were being dropped off at Hebrew school. And you'd see the parents. If I was walking into the class, people were like, I'm sorry, Rabbi, I can't, be, I can't come this week. Dude, it's okay. It's okay. Like, just God forbid they should come in. There was a class for parents too, but God forbid. But the kids, they must come. You know why? Because my parents made me go too. Right? So maybe your parents, maybe your parents, maybe your parents, maybe our parents, maybe your parents had a dysfunctional marriage and you were the sacrifices on that altar. Maybe your parents were hypercritical and you got burned. Maybe your parents were over-controlling and you can't, you've lost all structure because they were trying to be the structure for you always. Maybe your parents were overly punitive and now any kind of association with whatever they were trying to teach just brings up bad trauma. Maybe they just weren't present in your life when they should have been and they didn't teach you the right way with joy and love. There are unfortunately a million ways a parent can get it wrong as I as a parent know so well and unfortunately we don't get a million children. If we all had a million children probably the last one would be just like fine. Because you start with the first, make all the, every kid, you learn a few more mistakes, and by the time you get to your millionth child, you get it right. But unfortunately, the good Lord only gives us a few children and millions of ways we can make it, we can get it wrong. So, could be, could be, your parents weren't angels, and there's a lot of stuff that's still in you from them that you're still trying to work out. And there's a lot of negativity and a lot of trauma. That's maybe one. Number two, your financial success. Unfortunately, financial success can often be an impediment to spiritual growth. There's a verse in this week's Torah portion, in Parshas Hazinu, in Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 25. I think it's 15, actually. Vayishman Yeshurun Vayivat. Yeshurun is one of the names for the Jewish people. The Jewish people got fat. And they kicked. They became so successful, they started saying, I don't need God. Now, we've all heard the famous story about the guy who's trying to find the parking spot, and he goes, God, I'll be good. And then God says, God makes a parking spot right in front of the event. And he's like, oh, no, no, God, don't worry about it, I got it. That's a joke, but we've all heard that one before. But that's, that's actually on, uh, the way we do it for our lives sometimes. Like Meaning, people live their lives like this. When they're financially strapped, they're crying out to God, God, help me, please. And as soon as they become successful, they're like, I got it, God, don't worry, thank you so much anyway. I got it. The Pazak says, Vayishman Yeshurun Vayivad of the Jewish people. They got fat and they kicked. Shamanta Avisa Kasisa, you grew fat and gross and coarse. Vayitosh Eloha Esahu, Vayinabel Tsor Yeshua So. They forsook the God that made them and spurned the rock of their support and their salvation. God gives us so much, but when we're successful, we don't need God, so we kick Him away. God, I'm not so comfortable with the whole God thing. I'm just not so comfortable. You know, they say a phrase, there's no atheist in a foxhole. There's also no atheist when you're desperate for food and money and you're desperate. There's no atheist in deep poverty either. But there are plenty of atheists in the tenured university professor office the nice leather patches on the tweed jacket and the guaranteed you have a job for life because you hit tenure and we'll keep paying you and your benefits and all that then that guy gets up well god is a crutch for the weak people you know (laughs) there are a lot of atheists unfortunately in the boardroom a lot of self-made men And we ourselves, even if we believe in God, we unfortunately are guilty of this as well. When we become successful, we start thinking, yeah, of course, thank God, but I I did a pretty good job there. You know, I'm a very savvy investor. I don't want to boast, but I happen to be a very savvy investor. I had good teachers. I know how to spot a good opportunity in the market. We start attributing the success to ourselves. We don't, we don't need God so much. I'm good, God. I got it. Don't worry. I don't need the parking spot anymore. I've got the parking spot for my Rolls Royce on Park Avenue. I'm good, God. No, no thanks. 
Now I'm just not so comfortable with God. You know, just a, just a lot of, you know, God, all that stuff. It doesn't, I'm not so comfortable with it. I prefer the more, you know, spiritual stuff. That's the next one. Number three. Friends and neighbors. Friends and neighbors. You know, they say, show me your five closest friends and I'll tell you who you are. If your friends are the kind of people who are always sharing ideas, Torah ideas, inspiration, giving a lot of charity, doing a lot of good deeds, talking about good things, guess what you end up doing? Giving a lot of charity, talking about good things, doing good deeds. If your friends and neighbors are a bunch of cynical people who don't want to, can't be bothered to do anything spiritual and you know, whatever it is, then is their, their mouths run like sailors and they make coarse jokes all the time, then that, that's, that's what you do too. Friends and neighbors, right? And lastly, your mazel. Your mazel is your, so to speak, your, 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 your fate, so to speak. Now, if you think that Jews don't believe in like, people will call it like karma. Now, of course, karma is more of a Hindu idea. Like, and it's, uh, Hinduism is an, a vodazara, an idol-worshipping practice. But there is a concept called mazel. We've all seen people who have good mazel, and we've all seen people, it's not luck. Sorry, I have to, luck is what people would think it would be, but it's not. It actually has to do with the concept. We've, gone, we've done classes about mazel before, but it, it does have to do with, with kind of how you were born, what stars you were born under. Now, if you think it's not a Jewish concept, let me tell you straight up. The Gemara, the, the Talmud, in Tractate Moed Cotton, page 28a, says, Amar Rabbah, Rabbah says, Chaye Bane Mizona, the length of your life, your children, and your livelihood, your financial success. Lobis Chusatayo Milsa. It's got nothing to do with how righteous you are. Elabamazalatayo Milsa. That's to do with your mazel. And the Gemara says there was two examples. There was Rabbah and Rav Chizda. They both were super righteous. When they would pray, the rain would come. Either one of them. Rabbah would pray, boom, the rain starts coming. Rav Chizda would pray, boom, the rain starts coming. They both were very, very righteous people. However, Rav Chizda lived 92 years. Rabbah lived 40 years. Rav Chizda had 60 wedding feasts in his house. He was able to see children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren getting married. And Rava experienced 60 calamities. He buried children. He had all kinds of horrible difficulties. So it's got nothing to do with righteousness. You're good mazel, bad mazel. Not only that, there's another Gemara. The Gemara in Shabbos, page 156a and b. It says the following. It starts telling you, based on where you were, what, was, what, what were you born under, what constellations, what planetary stars and movements you were born under, what you're going to be. So it first starts off with the days of the week. If you're born on the second day of the week, if you're born on a Monday, you're going to have anger problems. Why? Because on the second day of the week, when God was creating the second day of the week, God split apart the heavens and the... God made separations between the upper waters and the lower waters. It's a day of separativeness, divisiveness. If you're born on a Monday, you're going to have anger issues. If you're born, high if you're born on a Tuesday, you're going to be a person who's wealthy and promiscuous. Right? Because vegetation was created, so vegetation represents wealth, but it also represents promiscuity. No boundaries. You don't have boundaries. Vegetation keeps growing and growing and growing. No boundaries. The weeds will grow anywhere. If you're born on the fourth day of the week, you're going to be a wise and enlightened person. Why? Because on the fourth day of the week, God hung the luminaries in the heavens, the, the stars and the moons and the sun. So it's literally telling you, like, based on when you were born, what you're going to be. Then there's another opinion in the Talmud. No, no, you're looking at it wrong. You're looking at the days of the week. Now, it all depends on what planets are ascendant when you're born. Rabbi Hanina says, go, go tell Bar Levi, it's not whether you were born on a Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. It depends on what hour you were born and what, con- what planets were ascendant. If you were born, if you were born when the sun was rising, you're going to be a person who's radiant. You'll be able to eat from your own, you'll drink from your own, because the, the sun is the source of so much growth in the world. You'll be like a very wealthy person, you'll be very successful. 
The sun shines, and you'll be all kinds of secrets will be revealed to you. If you're born under the Haiman the Bekoch of Neuga, if you're born under the star, the, the, the ascendant planet of Venus, Yehegvar Atir Vizanai, you're going to be rich and promiscuous. And if you're born on a Tuesday, under the constellation of Venus, you'll be very rich and very promiscuous, because that's like the double jeopardy there. Why? Because the fire was born during the hour of Venus, whatever that means, and you're going to be filled with like fire success, but also desires that are going to be very strong. If you're born under Mercury, then you'll be a enlightened, an expert man, because the sun, this, the Mercury is close to the sun, and you'll be very enlightened by the sun. Listen to this one. If you're born when the moon was ascendant, Haiman Tibilavana, if you're born when the moon is ascendant, Yehei Gevar Savil Marin. This is not a good one. You're going to be a person who suffers pains. You're going to build and destroy and destroy and build. The same way the moon keeps going up and down. You'll be rich and then you'll be poor and then you'll be rich and then you'll be poor. Up and down. And we know people about it. Do we not know people who must have been born under the moon? Their whole life was like a roller coaster. Up and down, up and down, up and down. He's going to be... <laughs> if, if you, the person who's born under the moon, if he eats, he's not eating from his own. If he drinks, he's not eating from his drone. He's going to be more likely to be a, a thief. Right? Because the moon steals all of its light from the, from the sun. Okay. If you are born under the mazel of Jupiter, Haiman de Betzedek, if you're born under the mazel of Jupiter, you're going to be a righteous person. Amar of Nachman bar Yitzchak v'tzadkan b'mitzvos, and you'll even be righteous by doing a lot of mitzvos. Hi, man demimadim. If you're born under the constellation of Mars, yehei gevar ashe dama. You'll be a person who spills blood because Mars is red. You're going to be you're going to be a violent person who spills blood. Now, Amar Ravashi, Ravashi says you don't necessarily have to be a bad blood spiller. There's a couple of good blood spiller jobs too. You could be e umna. You could be a bloodletter. E ganva. You could be a thief who beats people and, and leaves them bloodied. E tabacha. Maybe you'll just be a butcher and all day long. You're like cutting open animals and blood spurting out or whatever. E mahola. Maybe you'll be a moel. Right? Maybe you'll be a moel. So there are definitely better uh, occupations available to the bloodthirsty person born under the constellation of Mars. So the last thing that may contribute to you acting in a ways that are not so appropriate, you were just born under a bad mazel. It's not fair. If I was born under Jupiter, I would be a tzaddik. It said if you were born under Jupiter, you'd be a tzaddik. But instead, I was born under the moon, so I'm always stealing, I'm robbing. I was born under the mazel of, of Mars, and therefore I'm a violent, angry person, bloodletter. So again, to review, there are four things primary areas, primary colors that your bare skin, your satan may be wearing. Number one, parental trauma. Number two, you're being, you're, your failure, your biggest failure is your own success. Number three, bad friends, bad neighbors. Number four, bad mazel. Okay. Now we're going to tell the story. Now we're going to tell the story of one of the greatest One of the greatest stories of Teshuvah ever. Oh, wait, no, no, before we get to that, sorry. <laughs> God sits on a chariot. You probably didn't know that. It's called a Merkava. Now, just before you start getting pictures of like some kind of, ever seen the Queen's chariot? They bust out for the, the inauguration. Just now, this past year, they had the inauguration of King uh, Philip? Charles. Charles. King Charles, thank you. And uh, there was a lot of fanfare beforehand, and I remember seeing these articles about the different chariots that will be used. They have chariots that are, literally, he, at certain points in the time, he was, he was in different chariots different, 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 on the way to the coronation, on the way back from the coronation. Some of the chariots that he uses are like three, four hundred years old. I mean, Britain is a place that prides itself with tradition. You know, over here, you know, the president drives around in a big block of a Cadillac, you know what I'm saying? In, in, in England, they've got tradition over there. The, the king is going to his coronation in a chariot that's been carrying kings to their coronation since 1741. You know, it's like unbelievable, beautiful. That's not what it looks like. 
I'll prove it to you that that's not, when you try to picture, don't try to picture, because we're not supposed to picture God as a human being, as physical, but we know that he rides on a chariot, but just to prove to you that any kind of picture of a chariot that you think is the one that God rides on, I'll tell you how we know it's not, because that chariot has four wheels. The four wheels are named Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, David. Ah, okay, different picture. No, 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 no more. Do not try to envision in your mind that chariot, because the four wheels of the chariot that are Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and David. And each one of those people dealt with one of the big challenges that we just described. Challenge number one was challenging parents. Nobody had more challenging parents than Avram. Avram was a little budding monotheist, and his father was the person who sold idols, the biggest polytheist, the person whose entire livelihood depended on polytheism, the person who went and gold, ratted his own son out to Nimrod, who then threw him in a, in, a, in a burning fire because his son was going monotheistic. Talk about parental trauma. That is serious parental trauma. And yet Avram overcame that. Yitzchak. Yitzchak had great wealth. The Pasuk tells us in Genesis chapter 26, verses 12 and 13. Voracious. Perek. Chaf vav. Sukim yud beiz yud gimel. Vayizra Yitzchak be'aretz ahi. And Yitzchak sowed in that land. He planted in that land. And Hashem gave him a hundredfold what the normal harvest would have been. And Hashem blessed him. And the man became richer and bigger and greater. He became greater and more and more wealthy until he was fabulously wealthy. And yet, he never said to God, I got it. Never once. He remained the pillar of discipline and service to God his entire life. Bad friends, bad neighbors. Oh, Yaakov. Let's talk about Jacob for a minute, right? First of all, he spent nine months in the womb with Esau, with Esau, right? That's a bad neighbor to be stuck with for nine months. It's like people were stuck in COVID and lockdown, and they got to really know their spouses. And that caused, unfortunately, a rise in in divorce. But also, many families thrived through the COVID. Many families uh, were destroyed by it. You know, you're stuck in a house with somebody for nine months. You know, so Yaakov was stuck in the womb with Asa for nine months. And then he comes out, and he's growing up in the same house. And his, his playmate, his friend, his brother is like the most wicked, evil person. And then after that, he goes to Lavan. Love on the horrible, love on the wicked, and yet what does he say? I'm love on Garti Vitariak Mitzel Shamarti. I live with Lovan for twenty years, and yet I maintain the faith. Talk about a man who's able to overcome the challenge of being stuck with bad neighbors and bad friends. And then David. David was born under the constellation of Mars. Remember we said before, Mars, the ones that become blood blood uh, blood spillers? He was red haired, he looked like Asav. It says when the prophet Shmuel came. To anoint the, he said, I, I can't anoint this one. He, he's like Asav. He looks like Asav. And Hashem said, No, no, Mashrehu, Kum Mashrehu, get up and anoint him. Kizehu, that, that's the one you're supposed to anoint. And of course, he did end up spilling a lot of blood. He fought a lot of wars on behalf of the Jewish people and saved the Jewish people from the Philistines and from all of its oppressors and all of its attackers. He had blood on his hands. He wasn't able to build the base of English, but he was born under the constellation of Mars, and yet he became the greatest king. So we have four challenges and we have four incredible leaders. The four wheels of the chariot of God, so to speak, are our our three patriarchs and David teach us that you can overcome no matter what situation, parental trauma, incredible wealth, bad friends, bad neighbors, and really bad mazel. Now we'll tell you the story. This is a Gemara. I believe it's in Avodah Zarah, tracked out of Avodah Zarah, page 17. But I'm, I'm not 100,000% for sure. It tells the story of a man named Elazar ben Dordaya. He was a man who had an insatiable Yetzir uh, Hara. He had an insatiable bad inclination. And he was extraordinarily promiscuous. He was so promiscuous that he did not leave any, anywhere he could be promiscuous untouched. And then he heard that there was somebody in a foreign land that was supposed to be a very, you know, very, very exquisite bad experience, shall we say. An exquisite Avera experience. An exquisite sin. So he traveled across four, it says he traveled across seven, uh, the, um, 
seven seas to go to her, and he paid her a fortune of money. And then there was something that happened in the moment that they were together, and she laughs at him and says, you're such a, you're such a vile person that no matter what, you're lost. You'll never be able to do teshuva. She said that to him, yeah. So he was startled. So listen to the story. He goes outside, and he sat between Halach v'yashav ben shnei harim He sat between two mountains and hills, and he said, Mountains and hills! Bakshual Rachamim, beg for mercy on my behalf. They said to him, Sorry, dude. Before we go ask for mercy for you, we've got to ask for mercy for us. We've got our own issues. So then, he went, and he said, Chamo Levana, the sun and the moon, please, beg God on my behalf. And the moon and the sun said, we've got our own issues. And they quoted, we've got to pray for ourselves, sorry. So then, he said, Heavens and earth, pray on my behalf. And heavens and earth said, we got to pray on ourselves. Stars and constellations, pray on my behalf. Stars and constellations, pray on my behalf. And basically everywhere he looked, he said, pray for me, pray for me. And everywhere he looked, they said, sorry. So who did he go to? Let's go over there again. He went to mountains and hills. He went to heavens and earth. He went to the sun and the moon. He went to the constellations in the heavens and he begged every one of them, can you guys pray for me something, please? And they all said, sorry. No, we got to pray for ourselves. Omar, he said, Ain hadavar taloi elabi. He says, it must be up to me. No one else is willing to pray for me. It must be up to me. He niach rosho bein birkov. He put down his head between his knees. And he started crying over the life that he had lived. And the, the life of impetuousness and promiscuity and selfishness and narcissism that he had lived. He finally was woken out of his reverie. Finally the bear costume was taken off and he was just so horrifically torn by what he was that he just started crying and crying and crying and begging to be able to be a different person until his soul left him. Meaning he had to become such a radically different person that his soul just left that body behind. And he passed away. And a voice came out from heaven and said, Rabbi Elazar ben Durdaya is invited in to the everlasting life of Olam Haba. They didn't just say Elazar ben Durdaya. They said Rabbi Elazar ben Durdaya. Trust me, no one called him Rabbi until that day. He was the most vile of people. And about him, Rebbe, the great Rabbi, Rebbe Yehuda Nasi, Rebbe Yehuda the, the Prince, the author of the Mishnah, would cry and say, you could see that a person could buy his entire world to come in one moment of authenticity. So Rabbi Shmuel Brazil says, what was he calling out to the heavens, the, the, the heavens and the earth, the stars and the constellations? The first thing he called to was the mountains and the hills. The mountains and the hills in Judaism always represent your parents. There's a verse that says, Kol Behold, my beloved is coming. Midaleg al haharim, skipping over the mountains. Mekapetz al jumping over the hills. And the Medrash tells us, the Gemara tells us in Tractate Rosh Hashanah 11a, when it says he's skipping over the mountains, that refers to the great patriarchs. And jumping over the hills, that refers to the matriarchs. So he was saying, Rabbi Elizabeth ben Durdaya is saying, look, I can't believe it, I'm such a terrible person. Mom, Dad, it's your fault. You raised me like this. You yelled at me, you ignored me. You tried to be too controlling. You were too critical. You weren't present. And his parents say, sorry, son, we've got our own issues to work out. Yes, we were not perfect parents, but we, we can't help you right now. We're trying to work out our own lives. We had our own traumas too. Our parents also were... Tra- we, it, it, sorry, you're, you're an adult now. We, we, we're, not, we're, not, we're not responsible for making you good. We've got our own issues to work out. So then he calls out, Shemayim Varetz, heavens and earth. 
Heavens and earth, that's your neighborhood. He's saying, it's my friend's fault. It's where I lived, in the Shemaim Barats. It's where everyone around me. They were all promiscuous. They were all living shallow, vapid lives. They were all narcissistic and selfish. It's your fault, guys. And like, <laughs> sorry, dude. We're, we, don't, don't throw your blame on us. It's on you. Sun and the moon. The sun and the moon represents wealth. As the verse says in Deuteronomy, when the sweetness of the produce of the sun and the sweetness of the moon's yield, the sun is what gives us all of our wealth, all of the food, everything that we have. The, the moon brings the tides and the winds and the water and the rain, all the wealth, all the prosperity, everything we have comes the sun and the moon. He's saying, it's your guy's fault. I was just too rich. It was too easy for me to sin all the time. I had unlimited money. I had access. I, got, I could buy unlimited amounts of you know, cocaine and I could afford all the promiscuity I wanted and I could private jet all over the world. I could be in St. Tropez and in Ibiza and all the places in the world. What do you want from me? I just, if I had been a simple person, if I was living on $60,000 a year, okay, I wouldn't, but I had so much wealth. What do you want from me? And the wealth's like, ha ha ha, sorry. Don't blame this on us. And then he says, Kochavim emazalos, all the constellations. I must have been born on a, on a Tuesday in the time of Venus because I'm just so promiscuous and I'm wealthy. And it's, not, it's not my fault. And the, the, the constellations say, I'm sorry, that is your mazel, you're right, but don't blame it on us. So what does he realize? It's all on me. <laughs> At the end of the day, in our lives, my friends, we all have narratives concocted in our heads. Everyone here has some narrative in your head for why you are not the person you wished you could be. Sometimes you're blaming your parents, and sometimes you're blaming your success, sometimes you're blaming your neighborhood, your, the people you grew up around, your friends, sometimes you're blaming just your bad mazel. I don't, it's all been done before. Yom Kippur is the authentic day. Yom Kippur is the day where we throw off the bearskin and we say, Hashem, it's all me. It's on me. Just like Rabbi Lazar Berdudaya said, Ein hadavar it's all on me. Take off the bearskin and just stand before God and say, God, it's on me. Where I'm coming up short in life, it's not my parents' fault, I'm an adult. I can't be blaming my parents for the rest of my life. I can't blame my friends, my neighbors. I picked those friends. and I can't blame. I just got to stand before you, Hashem, and say, Chatasi, Chatanu, I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I've walked the wrong path. Can you help me get back? That's all. God can't help you get back if it's your parents' problems. Their problem, not your problem. All we got to do on Yom Kippur is to come to God and say, I'm sorry, God. I messed up. I've been selfish. I've been impetuous. I've been angry. I've been lustful. I've been greedy. I've been selfish. <laughs> I'm sorry, God. Can you help me out? And what does God say? Ha! I was waiting for you to ask, my son. I was waiting for you to ask. What does Hashem say? Of course I'll help you out. Listen to the beautiful words of David HaMelech. King David, when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet after he did something that was inappropriate. Lam natzeach mizmor David, a psalm for David. Bevo elav nasan hanavi kasher ba'a when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had come to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, as befits your faithfulness. In keeping with your abundant compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity and purify me of my sins. For I recognize my transgressions and I'm ever conscious of my sin. Take 
Albin, purge me with hyssop till I'm pure. Wash me until I'm whiter than snow. Tashmi'eni sason v'simcha. Let me hear tidings of joy and gladness. Tagelna atzamos dekisa. Let the, blo- the bones you have crushed exult. Haster panecha mechatasai v'chol avanosai mechei. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Lave tahar barali elokim. Fashion for me a pure heart v'ruach nachon chadesh bekirbi and create in me a new spirit. Hashiva lisasaon yeshecha v'ruach nediva tesmecheni. Let me again rejoice in your help. Let a vigorous spirit sustain me. The beautiful words of David HaMelech, who the Gemara says is the one who opened up the door for coming back to ourselves from no matter what. This is the day of Yom Kippur. All we got to do is say to God, I know, I'm sorry. I just, all I want to be is, the, I, I, I want to dance without this bear suit anymore. And I reckon, I'm not blaming anybody, but I'm, I'm just asking you, God, please help me out. And what does Hashem say again and again and again every year in Yom Kippur? Vayomer Hashem Salachti Kidvarecha. And Hashem says, I will forgive as you have spoken. All we gotta do is come out to God and mean it and be sincere and ask God. And don't blame, don't push the blame. Yes, you've had a bear in your life that's holding you back. And that bear can come in so many different flavors. But as long as you're blaming it on the bear skin, you can't get clean. So just come to God in Yom Kippur and say to Hashem, I've made some mistakes, can you help me out? And Atta no sein yad leposhim Hashem says, I put out my hand to all sinners who come before me, please come. It's an open day. There's no satan here today. There's no bearskin. There's nothing holding you back. Just come to me and I will wash you cleaner than snow, whiter than the whitest wool. May Hashem give us all the ability to come to God on Yom Kippur with authenticity, with realness, to talk to Him, to have that conversation, to own up for our mistakes, to be real about it, and to ask God for help in being our truest and most authentic self. And God will for sure bless us with a Gemar Chasima Tova and a good Gebenched Yar. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.